We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to another edition of the Knicks Film School pregame show. My name is Andrew Claudio, a.k.a. GMAC, and it's time to preview the Knicks' upcoming matchup on Friday night against the Philadelphia 76ers. My hope is that this game on national television, because it's not on MSG, that the Knicks get the Mike Breen treatment on Friday night, that we get to keep our broadcaster and listen to Doc Rivers and Dork Burke. I actually really like that broadcasting team. I feel like we mostly complain about broadcasters these days, and I think that trio actually has done a really good job in the times that I've listened to them so far this season. So Friday night in the city of brotherly love, and man, do we have a treat for you. So last year, I told you how much I enjoyed the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast and how much I admired uh, the path that they had paved for all of us in the niche podcast sphere. That's the first podcast that I ever knew about or listened to that was successful for only covering one team, for focusing on one team. And there's a whole chapter about them in your own Weitzman's book, Tanking to the Top. Well, last year we had Mike Levin on the show. Um, one half of the dynamic duo behind the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, I should say, that hosts uh, the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast. Well, we got the other half today. Spike Eskin, who's also head of programming at WFAN here in New York. Uh, but Spike Eskin uh, joins me to preview this matchup. It was funny. We were talking beforehand that we want to do a quick 35, 40 minute pod because we both have to get back to our wives. And we just couldn't stop talking and we ended up giving you a full 50 minutes. So I'll be very quick with my intro because I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. The Philadelphia 76ers come into this matchup 23 and 10, number four in offense, number two in defense, number one in net rating. Their numbers are off the charts right now. If the season ended right now, they would have the number one net rating of all time. Um, what's funny is the Boston Celtics right behind them at 10.0. So it's 10.4 net rating is what the Sixers have. The Celtics are right behind them at 10.0 are also right behind them at third in defense at 110.9, whereas the Sixers 110. And then at offense, the Celtics are just above them at second in offense, but they're both basically averaging 120 a game. The more this season goes along and the data gets bigger and bigger, I'm wondering if we have to look at the Sixers and the Celtics as somewhat equal. I know I've talked a lot of junk about their schedule and how it seemed every night they were like playing the 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 Pistons or the Wizards again or like some crummy team when we're stuck playing the Bucks and the Celtics every night. And even funnier, like the last time the Knicks played was Wednesday and then they get one day off and they're heading to Philadelphia. The last time the Sixers played was Tuesday. So they get two days off and didn't have to travel. Both teams just most recently played the Bulls. So they're both coming off of victories uh, against Chicago. But this will be a good test for the Knicks because this new starting lineup that has unbelievable lineup data. This is the only thing I'm going to say about the Knicks going into this. So, so far in the OG and Anobi experiment, here are the two lineups that he's played with the most. So. Isaiah Hartenstein, OG Ananobi, Julius Randle, Dante DiVincenzo, Jalen Brunson. That starting five in 80 possessions is plus 43. It's a very good start to the OG Ananobi era in that starting five. In those 80 possessions, they have a 131.3 offensive rating or points per possession. Um, that would be the 100th percentile. Uh, they have an 87.5 defensive rating, which would also be in the 100th percentile. 
And then if you're frustrated by the Josh Hart of it all, that he'll come in for DiVincenzo, technically they have an even better plus minus. It's plus 57.9. Now it's 19 possessions against two teams. So it's not, this is any, this isn't anything to be like, Oh, we have fixed everything. No, they very much need to fix the bench. Um, but the, the lineup data so far is after a great start in the OB, OG Ananobi, OB 40 and slip, OG Ananobi era. I am very curious to see what the Knicks do against a top three offense in the sport, a top four offense in the sport, I should say, but a team that is in that top tier. They just played the Bulls and the Timberwolves who struggled to score. In fact, I got to give a shout out to XJ who really brought up this point that like, this is great, but we got to see what they look out, look like against the high powered offense. He was saying this in our faculty chat. Um, but yeah, the, the, this is a good test for the Knicks that who, who gets the Joel Embiid assignment. He just finished a month where he averaged 40 points and 10 rebounds a game. Uh, he has a streak going on right now where he has a bunch of consecutive games scoring at least 30 and 10. I'll be curious who gets to guard Joel Embiid or whether you just guard him with your whole team. I'll be curious who gets to guard Tyrese Maxey and whether you just guard him with your whole team. This is a, a sixer team that has really turned it around since the James Harden trainer. I shouldn't, shouldn't even say since the James Harden trade as well as the James Harden trade. Um, in fact, I'm staring at it right now. So Joel Embiid has scored at least 30 points and collected at least 10 rebounds in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 straight games. So we'll see if the Knicks can be some streak busters on Friday night. Okay, let's get to it. My conversation with the legendary Spike Eskin of the Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, previewing the Knicks matchup on Friday night against the Philadelphia 76ers. Enjoy. Spike, how you doing, man? Great. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So let's start with vibes because mm -hmm. it's been fascinating to watch from afar the Sixers season. I mean, honestly, it starts in training camp when yeah. obviously all the drama with, with James and with and with whether a trade was going to happen and Maxi gets off to the start, he gets off to to the uneducated Knicks fan that obviously doesn't have the Sixers fan perspective. Just is this the best possible case scenario that could have happened for the Sixers where it was like so clear that they could survive without James Harden? The pieces they got for him actually became part of the solution. And then, of course, Joel somehow taking a leap after an MVP season. I think it's better than whatever the best possible scenario we could have imagined. I, the, I think one of the reasons that everyone who has watched the team for years is having such a good time this year, I think, is because everyone imagined a much, much worse case scenario, you know? Not not so much that it would be bad post-hardened, because I think just about everybody was ready, not everybody, but a, a large portion of the fan base was ready for, to move on from Harden. But the way that it was evolving, I think a lot of us thought that he could be there for the first couple of months of the season that he could play and make it ugly that you know like a lot of bad things and and our perspective was at least from when you're watching and thinking about it and talking about it every day is how could the vibe within the team be good and be positive with this going on in the outside but i think what we learn is being on the outside of it and podcasting about it every day and being on the inside and actually having teammates and going to work every day. It's just different, you know? And it was, I think it was probably more toxic for us than it was for the team, which I think you give a lot of credit for to nurse and a lot of credit to Embiid and the, you know, the internal leadership of the team to keep them focused. So that's a long answer, but I, I, I honestly could not have imagined a better scenario than, than what is happening. I think you could have all the things that you mentioned, I think we could have we could have imagined. We could have imagined Maxi getting better. We could have. We could have even imagined Embiid getting better. We could have imagined the pieces they got back from Harden uh, being part of the solution. But all of the things happening and them not even really missing a beat is is pretty much unimaginable. Well, so to add to it, that everybody's happy with the situation. That an, a yep. team without James Harden is not only a better team potentially, but also that everybody enjoys watching that team better. Yes. Which is the look that you mentioned the the 
role of a niche podcaster and like we're doing it every day it's almost like we get to be part of the oral history as as it's being written it's one of the coolest things about doing this right like exactly yeah when people ask me for the history of it you there are books about like the process or whatever but if you just listen to our pod through the years there it is you know you can relive it as one of the coolest things about doing it is that there is a like there's a a history written about what all of those things, not just what happened, but what they felt like. Anyway, I think it's one of the coolest things about doing this. Well, so from our perspective in New York, and we really go back to the first Thibodeau year where mm-hmm. like Nick's film school found any kind of footing. And it's funny how these things run together where that first year, it's like super, uh, surpassing all expectations, getting the four seed and then losing in the first round. Yeah. And then the next year it falls off a cliff. Randall's horrible. And it's like, they're a, the 11 seed. They missed the playoffs. Everybody wants like everyone fired or traded. And then they sign Jalen Brunson. They don't get Donovan Mitchell. And then they extend RJ. And then going into the next year, it's like, when do they fire the head coach? But then he makes a rotation change and the vibes become immaculate until they get Josh Hart and they get even better and they get to the second round. And with this season, it was starting to feel like two years ago where it's like something's off. Like, is this going to be a replay of two years earlier? And, you know, the OGN and OB trade, I, I can't believe I'm saying this because like, I'm going to miss Emmanuel quickly. And then there's a, a complicated relationship to RJ Barrett and Knicks fans. But the juice that's been punched into this season, it feels like the Derrick Rose trade or the Josh Hart trade. I say all of that because you mentioned James coming here and making a mess potentially this year. And that being the fear. You guys have experience with that, with what Ben Simmons did a couple years ago. <laughs> did you do. have, yeah. like, was that the fear coming into this year that this was going to be a replay of a couple years ago? With, and look, I, I will have, I, I narrowed it down to one, I promise you, one question about the Knicks and the connection of Joel and sure, like, sure, sure. potentially, but like yeah. with that looming of a potential, you know, ask out this summer, like, the fact that it went the other direction, was that the fear, though, that that was the direction it was headed? Well, I think there's a difference between everybody else's fear and or not everybody else. I was never afraid of that. Okay. And you can I've argued the only time my feeliness ever comes out at WFAN is when I'm arguing with Knicks fans oh. uh, at, at work. And you could ask them. And it's on the pod. I Joel to me does not seem like the sort of player who is asking out for a number of different reasons. One of them I mentioned is the inconvenience of doing it. (laughs) Uh, I I don't know if he has the stomach for it to be hated the way that he would be hated in Philadelphia. I also don't think like he doesn't even have an agent currently, and which also means that that has to be really sort of motivated by you, you know, if, if that were to happen. And I also think, and this isn't what you asked me, but I'm I'm just sort of like clarifying what my stance was on it. Like this, that was not, there were plenty of worries to me, but him asking out like was not on the list of worries. Another thing that is kind of strange is that when you think about the history of players asking out in the NBA is Thus far, it's not been foreign born like players, really. It's always been like American born players, which I I don't know if there's like a cultural thing that is different there. But but all of those factors led me to believe that he was not asking out. I think in general, the bigger fear, if we're to put that one to the side and there were people that were afraid of that is if this gets ugly, you know, what does he what does he do? I think. I think the bigger fear is just a waste of his prime. Mm. Like a year of his prime is, is if this year is a disaster is gone. It, it's not a year. It's not a wasted year of his prime if they don't win a championship, but it is a wasted year of his prime. If there's no growth, if we don't find something out new about the team. And I think the, the thing that everyone was super worried about was just like, this is going to be a complete throwaway. You know, that this year would just get ugly and stupid, sort of like the 1920 year when they 
signed Horford and they traded for Josh Richardson and the team was just like miserable. And that, that year's almost erased from Sixers fan memory because it was such a disaster. And I think that was more of the fear than he was going to ask out. I just don't, maybe I'm, maybe I'm blind fan thing, but I don't, I don't really think he's an ask out guy. Look, the, I mean, I guess we'll just have the Embiid conversation now. The, sure. like that, that Embiid conversation. Yeah. From everything I've heard, and like we're really close with, with Fred Katz of the Athletic, he's reported this, and we've talked to some people. It's consistent with what you're saying that he wants to be like a Philly lifer. And when Embiid, like, the Knicks, unfortunately, the way he's the Knicks are talked about nationally is who are they trading for? What can take them to be a contender and not how they're playing, what they've done. And Embiid's name, because of the CAA connection, gets brought up. Yeah. I I think the, the the fear you're talking about about wasting his prime would have been the only way I could have talked myself into like that changing, that it's like, yo, they're wasting my yeah. prime. Yeah. And if that were to happen, that's a a, a thing I could see happening, but as we now transition into what the Sixers are doing, and this by year, the way, by the way, not, oh, like, not an unreasonable thing. As soon as Leon Rose went to the Knicks, like I, I'm sure I said it on the podcast many times, and I'm sure I communicated to people. Mm-hmm. Oh no, <laughs> you know, like you can draw that line, and clearly you can draw it with with OG, and you know, like there's there's not. It's not like a crazy line to draw, but for that sort of player to force his way to one specific team who happens to be 80 miles away from the other team, uh, who happens to be in the same division, like that's a pretty messy situation for him to get himself into. So anyway, so leave that there. But it's not a crazy thought to have, I don't think. You bring up the foreign born part of it, which is why I'm hesitant on Luca ever asking out. I was kind of hesitant on Giannis, but then... He went like on a press tour this summer about he might leave in two years, but I think it was more to put pressure yep. on the Bucks to make sure they do something else. And then obviously they got Dame Lillard. As far as what the Sixers have done this year in that best case scenario, number one in net rating, Maxi's taking a leap. I was looking at Nick Batum's on off since he got traded, Sick, and it's, it's insane. Yeah, and, like he leads the team in on off at the moment on a year that uh, Joel Embiid is. A, my goodness, the December he just had going yeah, average 40, 40 points, 10. I think. Yeah. So uh, from my outside perspective, he's taken a leap because obviously I because the, these two teams play at the same time a lot. I haven't been able to watch him every night, especially if I tune in for the fourth quarter. He's usually not playing because they're up by so much. Um, what would you say is the biggest difference between him this year? compared to last year where he won the MVP. And I'll add a caveat, like, is it really just as simple as he's passing more? Because that assist percentage is is kind of nuts. Yes. I, I mean it's it's certainly one of the things is he said we I, I made fun of him in the offseason because he made a there was a comment Ramona Shelburne made about how because she's always been a she's obviously close to him or someone around him. And she said, you know, he watches Jokic play and wonders you know, why can't they play like that? And I laughed and I was like, bro, there's nobody stopping you from passing. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what you're doing, what you're thinking, but if, if you have the ability and somebody's telling you not to, we should address that. Uh, and he's always had very bad, if it appears to us, very bad instincts on passing. He's always been mm-hmm. a beat late, you know, and, and, uh, like, especially on double teams, he's always a beat late. He waits till the double team gets there. And, it is different this year and you have to obviously attribute to some, some of it to Nick nurse. I think you have to attribute some of it to Harden not being there, you know, because a lot of the offense ran through Harden last year. And if the offense is running through Harden, then Joel, like Joel was on the, when you, you think about the way he got his points last year, he was on the receiving end of a lot of that, you know, pick and roll, the pick and pop action with him and Harden. So I give credit to Nurse. I give credit to Embiid to buying in and moving the ball. But also, the Sixers have never had other good passers on the fl- aside from Harden, like ball movers, like you mentioned Batum. And Batum has has I think made a significant difference just in the flow of the offense because if you're going to move the ball, sometimes you're not going to get the assist, but you want the ball to keep moving. Like you want it to, there to be a point to you moving the ball. And I think having players like that on the floor have helped them as well. So I think it's a lot of things and offense. I think 
as far as scoring, he just looks like he's like mastered it. Mm. Like it, it looks like he can do it whenever he wants to do it. Now I'm sure you'll play this clip when in the second round, he shoots seven for 24 uh, and the Sixers go down three, one. And I'm saying he's mastered offense, but at this point, and I think Anthony Edwards said it, he said, I don't know how they ever lose like watching him play. And this year, the passing is unreal, but he has also, from a scoring standpoint, just realized that if I do this, they're going to have to do that. And then I'll get this. Like, there's no, it's almost like they're playing four on five and mm -hmm. he just has to, he has to make the right move and he'll have a shot that he can make. Like he, him shooting a, a 14 to 16 footer, it never he doesn't miss any of them. It feels like he shoots 85% of them on them. So, and I think that has um, energized him defensively. I think he's always been, I actually think it's gotten, it got to a point where he was an underrated defender because he wasn't as good, as dominant as he used to be, but he's a defender that you can build an entire defense around. Like Giannis is a great defensive player, but that defense is not built around Giannis. That defense is built around Brooke Lopez and a point of, and before was Dr Brooke Lopez and Drew Holiday, which it sort of allowed Giannis to sort of roam around, Free get safety. steals, yeah. get blocks, yada, yada, yada. That's, he's not a, like a center. He's not like a, you know, a, a you know, a, a cornerstone of a defense and Joel is, but he's played like up another level in that way too. Well, so in a couple of Sixers games that I've caught this year, um, it's almost similar to what Minnesota's doing with, uh, with Gobert, where they're not just strictly using him as a rim protector. It right. seems like they're bringing him up to the elbow, bringing him up to the nail. And he's almost like a paint protector. And it, it's just widening his range of, of defense. It's almost like, like, here in New York, Darrell Revis, like you're going to Joel Island when you go yeah. anywhere near that the paint. And that's that's I think the best compliment I could give him. As far as this matchup against the Knicks is concerned, not that anybody's had any success stopping him in the last uh, couple months, but like how like not necessarily what scares you, but how would a team in your mind, or at least from what you've seen, have any teams that have given him given him trouble? Like Isaiah Hartenstein is currently an ex-center, leads the league in shots uh, on uh, shots at the rim, uh, block shots at the rim on dunks uh, in defensive EPM. Julius Randle's a big body. Like what has he struggled with, if anything, this year? Well, so historically, what he has struggled with is either one, like a, a lot of chaos like double teams and, and, and just like a lot of movement and making him make quick decisions. He's mm -hmm. always looked terrible against the Raptors, you know? And then the other, the other sort of guys historically, it's not all of them because, you know, he'll, he'll get four fouls on Andre Drummond in two minutes, but big, sturdy, smart bodied defenders. So, you know, uh, Horford is one of those. Mark Gasol was one of those that always frustrated him back in the day. Now you're talking about two really incredible defensive players too. It's not just a body type. He would even like struggle against Valanchunas. Um, so I think the, the goal for Embiid, and he even mentioned that Nick Nurse told him this, that the Raptors used to do this, is to make him frustrated because he makes bad decisions and forces things when he's frustrated. And that's when he'll if he turns the ball over a couple of times and decides to try to bully his way into a basket and ends up on the floor and doesn't get the call and misses a layup. And you know, you guys are on the other end with a, um, a fast break, uh, layup and he's mm. yelling at the refs. Like that's what you want out of Embiid. But you know, you mentioned him skipping fourth quarters. One of the things that the Sixers have not done historically, which is so weird to see their point differential where it is, is to just like obliterate teams that they should obliterate and have him sit fourth quarters. And that is a different thing about him and them. So that's what I would do. I, I guess I would try to hassle him. I think what he'll probably try to do to Hartenstein is get two fouls on him in the first two minutes. And that, that would, I think... Like that's going to be the goal is to, you know, neutralize mm -hmm. the, his defender and make him think about everything that he's doing. And I think that the Knicks, uh, the Knicks should do that. And the other thing defensively, the Knicks can do that 
teams have started doing with Maxi is putting sort of like bigger wing guys on him uh, because he's compact and smaller and good defenders that are longer and can move their feet seem like they can stay with him a little bit better. I wouldn't be surprised to see OG on him on Maxi like in spurts and it, it's th- there has been some success with that too. So that's what I was going to wonder the OG and Anobi matchup or the assignment I should say when Anobi came here we 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 did a I did a podcast with Esparahini up in uh, up in Toronto. He mentioned Embiid's stopper as one of the or maybe it was the Giannis stopper but that he guards bigger than his his position. Yeah. And I wondered if the Knicks would try to like you said frustrate Embiid by switching OG onto him a few times or bringing OG as the double um, as well as the getting the maxi assignment, which I'm I'm curious if that's where Josh Hart ends up going or yeah, um, Quentin Grimes getting some look uh, at, Quint- at, uh, at maxi. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm very fascinated by, by this matchup and, and like the Knicks obviously with a new look to them and their, their second unit is a bit, bit frustrating at the moment, but their starting five has looked amazing. Um, well, and the second unit thing is about not having uh it, it's literally they they the spark off the bench that they have is no longer there anymore. Yeah, so yeah. like hopefully you could find that at the deadline. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You mentioned what Nick Nurse has contributed to Joel Joel's game, and I'm, I'm assuming that that's across the board what he's contributed to everybody. Um, in the past couple of years, it's been a lot of pick and roll, especially with Harden and Embiid. What would you say to to obviously our Knicks fans that he's contributed the most as far as the improvement this year? I, you know, we have a couple of people who write for the Rights to Ricky website. And one is this guy, Dan Olinger. And he wrote a really good article this past week about how the best thing that Nurse has done is made the Sixers less predictable, mm. especially on offense that he adjusts and that Doc Rivers did not. Now, I'm no fan of Doc Rivers here, but I think when your two main offensive pieces are Harden and Embiid, that sort of limits the amount of creativity that you can have, especially with Harden, who is just will tell you to your face that he is not interested in experimenting or doing anything different or working off the ball or any of those things. But he has shown a propensity to Nick nurse has to adjust to be less predictable. It makes things simply just like easier for the Sixers because the opponent doesn't seem to know what's coming. And I think nurse has grown a little bit too. One of the things that's been interesting to watch at with Nick nurse is that when he was in Toronto, he, he had, which you're familiar with in New York, he had a very short rotation and he would play guys 38, 40 minutes all the time. And it seems like nurse, even as a coach with lineups and with rotations has been, um, experimenting and trying to figure things out himself. And we'll be like, well, why is this guy playing all of a sudden? Or why did this guy get run over this guy? And he's been figuring that out as well. So I think the thing that he has brought that has been a, a, a breath of fresh air has just been change and consistent change and a lack of predictability. So speaking of lineups, um, this Maxi Melton Harris Batum and bead lineup, that's plus 33. Um, that's terrifying. Just I, like I don't even have a question. That's just a terrifying lineup right there. Like, is that how they've been winning? Just when that lineup plays, they build up leads. 
Well, they, so the, you know, the, the time to attack the Sixers and Bede plays the entire first quarter and the entire third quarter. Okay. And then he sits from, you know, the beginning of the second quarter till about the six minute mark of, of both. So, or even the five minute mark. So the, the, the lineups that just have Maxi have not been particularly strong, at least like as far as the, this season goes. So mm-hmm. that is the time, you know, Maxi goes out around the uh, four minute mark of the first quarter. So, so real quick, you're saying yeah. he staggers one of Embiid or Maxi is on the court at all times. Yeah, just about. Okay. Yeah, just about. So, uh, so, you know, the, the time to it, that sounds sort of like elementary, but the time to attack is when Embiid isn't on the bench. And, it, by the way, like even the Embiid without maxi lineups have not looked great. Like the Sixers are a ball handler short right now, which I guess the Knicks are to a certain extent too. They, Pat Beverly has actually been much better than I thought he has, but he's not like, he's not like a super offensive creator guy. They, right. they could use a real bench scorer slash point guard, ball handler, combo guard guy. And I think, I think, um, I think that shows when Maxie's not on the court and, um, and the, the lack of scoring punch when Embiid isn't on the court, when it's just Maxie can, has been an issue sometimes. Who do you want? As far as like a player? Yeah. Cause I, I just did a bulls pod. Yeah. I just played the bulls and the Zach Levine conversation came up. Yeah. I follow the right Turkey Sanchez on Instagram. And I saw you ask Daryl not to trade for Zach Levine. So I'm assuming that's not who you want, but if you're just looking for um if you're just looking for a ball handler like what's your what's the list? What's the well, wish list? We do a, a segment on every pot on every pod called Star Hunter where we just sort of like go through players in the league that we might want. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult to decide. The Sixers are in a I'm I'm so Mike tends to my partner well, tends to think of the about, pod, yeah yeah oh yes he was on you're right mm-hmm. so mike tends to think about the players that he wants i tend to wait to see what they get and and decide whether i like it or not mm. uh, so the levine thing i've actually gone back and forth on the thing that Ooh. i did well the, the thing that i didn't want daryl to do and I th- oh, it was actually the the thing that you were talking about was that was a- Andrew Underberger, another one of our writers, wrote an article that the Sixers can't trade for an excuse this year. And what he, he was essentially saying was like, if we trade for Zach Levine, look, we all know he has no history of winning in the playoffs, whether it's his fault or not. We all know that the Bulls seem to have gotten better when he's not on the court. And we all know that like we would talk ourselves into it but there would be something that would be nagging at us that, that would say that it isn't the right move. And then in the playoffs, when it, it becomes clear that it's not the right move, we would just say, oh, they shouldn't have traded for Zach Levine. Mm. And, and like, I, I think overall, I think my answer is just like, I want this year to be about Maxi and Embiid. So I don't really know who... The guy is, we've talked about Bogdan Bogdanovich a lot, whether he becomes available in mm. Atlanta. Um, Mike has met a DeJun- mentioned DeJounte Murray. I don't like DeJounte Murray at all. I know you guys have um, talked about him. I think he's like one of those players that there's like this conceptual version of DeJounte Murray. And then when you watch him, it's this other sort of thing. In your head, he's like Drew Holiday. He's great at defense and he can play off ball and blah, blah, blah. And you watch him and he's kind of like, you can tell he wants to be a ball hog and he doesn't really defend like you think he does, even though his body looks like he does. Yeah. My, my take on DeJounte Murray, if, if you're just getting him because you want to go star hunting eventually and you need a good contract and a lead guy along with all your picks, then I get it. Yeah. If you were going to pay a second point guard on your team, $24 million, how about you could just pay to Manuel quickly? And right, right, right. that could have been like, right. we'd have no issues right now. If Manuel quickly was also your starting two guard and your backup point guard at the moment, and he was just getting DeJounte Murray's uh, usage. If the whole point of trading quickly was to like 
now you've given Jalen Brunson the point guard spot. Yeah. I'll go get a backup point guard. At least that's my, my thought on, on Murray. Like I, I get, I get what he can do. Well, I also think we tried the two point guard experiment. Right. And, and, and by the way, like it's not when you think about pairing him with Trey young, like again, it's that concept. It's like, okay, well we have a little scoring point guard. Mm -hmm. So we'll put him with a bigger, more athletic guy who can defend and it will work, but it just, isn't working there. Right. You know what I mean? So uh, I Bogdanovich is a, seems like a player that could be had that would fit what they needed, who would have the guts to score in the playoffs. You know, there's one guy, he's not a ball handler per se, but man, I fall in love watching Cam Johnson on the nets. Mm, yeah. I would love Cam Johnson, man. I, he, and he doesn't, he doesn't fit the, the ball handler thing, but really once the playoffs come along, Maxie's going to, you know, be playing 42 minutes a game anyway. So I, I don't know how much that matters. Um, I would love Cam Johnson too. And I know he has years and the Sixers were more interested in having, you know, a clean cap sheet over the off season, but he's young you know, he's on the same timeline as Embiid. What's Cam Johnson's like 26, 27 years old. So I, I would argue if you're trying to keep your cap sheet clean, it would be to sign a player like Cam Johnson. To right, right, right. So yeah, yeah. him taking up that necessary cap room is is kind of perfect for right. what the six. I mean, you mentioned two guys that are just great off ball. And with if the Sixers passing is what it is already with a pretty elite offense, I I mean, that it's a move that makes sense to me, at least if you're, if those are the guys you're targeting, I think the Knicks, I mean, Knicks fans, what we've targeted, it's the, it's the, this list of like five where it's like Tyus Jones and yeah. Malcolm Brogdon and yeah. like pick a backup point guard that could potentially come here. I would say that Mal the thing about Malcolm Brogdon is every fan base, every time he leaves a team, the fan base is like, oh, thank God he's gone. And there's some weird vibe about that guy because he doesn't play though. Right. Like it's usually, I don't, I don't think that's it. Really? I, okay. Yeah. I don't think that's it. I'll ask my Bucks friend, uh, Ben specifically what it, my Bucks fan friend, Ben specifically what it is, but I don't know. I, I think there's something wrong with Brogdon <laughs> and I, I don't, I don't want him. Well, so. I, I've my top of my wish list is Tyus Jones. The fact yep. that he could end up on a Tibbs team again would be hilarious. But the fact that he has experience playing for Tibbs and there probably won't be like any politics involved yep. if he ends up playing 12 minutes in a playoff game. Whereas like Malcolm Brogdon only played 12 minutes tonight. It's like, oh, well, what is this then? I think you could get away with it better with Tyus Jones. Um, yeah. Couple questions before yeah. I let you get out of here. Um, yeah. I like to hand the show over at a certain point to my guest and say, like, you have any Knicks questions or thoughts? And I know, like, you also have another job where you run the most successful sports radio station in New York ever. But I, if you want to our audience, give your mm -hmm. Knicks thoughts and what they've done this year, or even specifically the Ananobi trade just happened, by all means, please do. So one thing to note is I did, I was like a Nick fan until my like mid twenties. Okay. Uh, like I grew up on 47. So I, John Starks is like my hero. You can't see it, but there's like a giant John Starks poster here on my wall here. Is it the dunk? No. So I have the dunk. I have an autograph, the dunk at my office and also the cover of slam he was on mm, uh, okay. in my office. This one is, I think I can tell the story. Kate Fagan, who used to cover the Sixers and wrote for ESPN uh, and was a great Colorado state basketball player, was a huge John Starks fan and like created this poster for her and her dad. And she made me one and I have that framed over here. Um, so I'm a huge Starks fan and I, I grew up a Nick fan. So when I become a little trolley here, I want you to please <laughs> in your heart. Uh, I So the, the first thing. Ultimate caveat. Go ahead, Spike. Well, the first thing is, is how is it going to feel when at the end of all of this maneuvering, mm -hmm. you just end up with Carl Anthony Towns this off season and you just know like in your heart that it's not going to work. Counterpoint. <laughs> what if it ends with Donovan Mitchell? And he's in the best position he's ever been in in his career. With another small guard in the backcourt. With OG Ananobi next to him this time and with potentially Mitchell Robinson. And with okay. your third best player is Julius Randle. I'd argue that's better than 
any the, situation that he's been in. The same Donovan Mitchell who you saw like basically disappear for five straight games. I'm not saying that there won't be worries with Donovan Mitchell. I'm just okay. saying that I, in Jalen we trust. In okay, Jalen Brunson. Okay, so let me ask you a, a more a more reasonable question because RJ Barrett's gone, mm-hmm. and he was one of the players I used to argue about at work. I would just keep keep saying he sucks, he sucks, he sucks. He's never getting better. Uh-huh. Like, Might he have come to the right better. pod then. Spike. Yeah. <laughs> like his, his, his total numbers would go up, but his rate, no rate stat would ever get better with RJ Barrett. He would just yeah. do more of everything. Okay. Can I piggyback on that with just sure. a stat to show you how well aware of his deficiencies yes. we were? Yeah. So after that seven game start he got off to, which was like, he stole the Monstars powers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he can't, he had that migraine bout when he came back and it was 18 straight games where he had a 26 usage and a 43 effective field goal percentage. (sighs) Nothing was that low over a full season since Kobe's last year in the league. So that's how bad he was. He was last year of his career Kobe, which good luck in Toronto. You went home and I, I hope things work out for the best, but he was playing the worst basketball of his career when he got traded. And by the way, like another, we talked about DeJounte Murray as like a conceptual player. RJ Barrett also conceptual, like three and D guy who doesn't really shoot threes all that well. Who's, you mentioned high usage, like it, people who don't watch him all the time. Okay. I swear real quick. The number yeah. one thing everybody's been saying to me, and honestly, our commentary of it since seeing Ananobi, it's like, oh, this is what we wanted RJ to become. That's right. the number one like critique or even analysis of OG and Anobi so far is this is a perfect fit in ways that RJ was was not right. You know? So I think the biggest question I have is I have two questions and I know we're going to go longer than this. will be my fault. So I have two questions. The first one is Julius Randall. Okay. So in my gut, again, don't watch every Knicks game, watch enough, hear enough of the conversation in my gut. He is a loser. <laughs> like what okay. he did, what he has done in the playoffs, the way that he reacted to fans. I, I do not, see, I can't imagine that like turning around. Nick fans seem to feel that way every playoffs. And then by the middle of every season, they're fighting with me that he made an all pro team. Shout out Anthony Gallo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made an all pro team. So what is your, what is your real belief on Julius Randle? Like in your heart, would you bet on him to come through when you need him to come through in the playoffs? Right now, no. But okay. I think that's the fascinating part about Julius's legacy in New York is that, and this honestly has more to do with the Knicks and just what they've been as a franchise. It's like Patrick Ewing, Bernard King, some guys in the 60s and 70s, and Carmelo Anthony. Like that's their leaderboards right now. So Julius Randle climbing up a franchise's leaderboards says more about the franchise than it does about Julius Randle. Having said that, what's been interesting about these last four years in particular, that we hear team, that that four seed, that mm-hmm. he was the engine that made that thing run. He succeeded by hitting a ton of long twos and shooting 40% from three. Last year, it was like playing off ball, being an honorable three-point threat where it was like, we have a specific zones we're allowed to shoot. It's at the rim or it's three-pointers. And he was like Steph Curry, not efficiency, but on volume. He took and made a ton of threes last year. And like it was a, that was the way he got to 25 a game, 10 rebounds and mm-hmm. second, third team all NBA. This year, he's reinvented himself again. And He's just the bully ball with the two point ball. Like his his efficiency in the paint, his efficiency at the rim has created a different version of him that I think Knicks fans are like, oh, because he's different, maybe it's going to be different. And I think like I don't like to make too many excuses, but like you you probably you probably know this or I've heard this from Knicks fans. What happened against the Hawks was they said, okay, stop him. And we shut the water off. Like there's nobody else that could beat us. And so it was a whole team dedicated to stopping one player, which we saw Halliburton struggle when teams started to do that. Last year, I don't want to give him too much of a pass, but he did sprain his ankle poorly because Bam Adebayo is an extremely dirty player. 
Um, <laughs> Do you know why this is funny to me? You sound you're hearing like the a, same excuses that no, year? you sound like us talking about Embiid. Like it's it's essentially the same thing. Like I mean, we, you called Julius Randle a loser. They've both made it to the, the know, same point in the playoffs. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I just said I, the same thing. Yeah, that, that, that's yeah. what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I I yeah. The I get it. So so real quick to, to yeah. finish the point. Like yeah. I'm with you that like he's got to eventually do it in the playoffs. I think the grace that I've started to extend him at least this year is like, man, the spacing has just been awful your entire time here. Like we turned RJ Barrett into a, a corner three point shooter that first year. But since then, it's just been like you're just seeing nothing but bodies at the rim. I'm curious what a year with a one playoff run with OG Ananobi looks like with Dante DiVincenzo, like with honorable three point shooters that he can kick out to. And obviously, Jalen Brunson. I, I'm it's one more run. And then if he's still like the worst high usage efficiency player in playoff history, then you might have to think, okay, this just has to be different next year. I don't care if he makes an all-star team and all NBA team. We have three different runs with this that it doesn't work. Final question. Sure. Do you think a team could win a championship with Jalen Brunson as their best player? Uh, no, but okay. I think you could win a, Championship with him as one of your best players. I know it's probably like a cop out of a political answer. Like, well, you're saying second best, basically. Yeah, like a one A. Yeah. But like, there yeah. will be games where he is the best player. For sure, sure, point, sure, sure. You sure, know, sure. and like I like Jamal him. Murray last big year. Jalen, I love Jalen Brunson, by the way. Good, big Jalen Brunson guy. So not not negative on him. Just well, the, curious. The tough part with him being your best player is there are very clear weaknesses. He yeah. is taken advantage of on the defensive end of the floor. He can get a little foul baby at times where I think he just won us all over is in a playoff series with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo at the peak of their powers. Although Jimmy was hurt, but still playing well, he was the best player in the series, like a team that was dedicated to trying to stop him. And he averaged over 30 a game. And that has just gone a long way with us to know, okay, we have a guy like regardless of what he's bad at and you know, how high you, how high the ceiling is when he's your best player, we have a guy. And the hope is Julius, eventually decides to be a guy in a playoff series. And, you know, you take a leap that way. It's no Knicks fan, at least in our circle, is like, this is a team that can go to the finals. It's very much like, we're, this is a good team that has a chance to, if you get a little lucky, get to the, I don't say conference finals. I, Zach Lowe has put out there that with a little bit of luck or injury luck, you can get to the conference finals. I very much think the second round is the ceiling on this team. But... Like the Knicks have been to the second round twice since 2000. So that's not like a terrible yeah. place to potentially be, you know? Yeah. I, I think, I just think of all of these arguments with Nick fans in the office. There's like, uh, so EJ Stewart, uh, mm -hmm. who used to do a Knicks pod, love EJ and produces uh, Maggie and Pearl off on CBS sports radio. He was like, he was like, he gets mad about that the Knicks aren't getting enough respect, but then he gets mad that they ask about whether the Knicks can win a championship and why can't they just be good? And why does everybody have to worry about them winning a championship? And like, unfortunately in the NBA, there's only like, once you're in the conversation, that becomes the conversation. Like the entire Joel Embiid has been runner up for MVP twice and won MVP the last three years. That's a pretty outrageous run. And still the entire conversation with him will be about, is he going to win a championship or not? That's it. Or who are they going to get or blah, blah, blah. And the Knicks have put themselves in this situation where a, a, a listener of, a, of ours wrote like this huge scale of like fan enjoyment. And he said, the number one most enjoyable thing as a fan is when your team is winning, you expected them to be losing and you expect them to get better in the future. That's like the number one. But once you expect them to start winning and you don't know if they're going to get better in the future, that's when the anxiety and the expectations start. And the Knicks were, that's, it was a great story last year. Mm -hmm. It was winning, winning the Cleveland series was great. Jalen Brunson was a great story, but now everybody expects them to be good. And, and then the next question, the NBA always is, okay, well, what else? What's next? What are you going to do? And that's the, there's almost no time to enjoy it. I told, uh, thunder fans like enjoy this one year mm. where you are where no one thought you would be this good you didn't think you would be this good 
no matter what happens in the playoffs, you're going to be thrilled because next year it's fucking over. <laughs> like next year, if they win 56 games this year, they're going to be a top three title contender next year, whether they win the title or not. And expectation is like sort of the, the thief of joy as a sports fan. So that's that that scale and that scenario, I think is perfect. Yeah, I think what I echo EJ's sentiments is that like the only national conversation. Now, maybe this is a national thing and not a local thing. At least I don't feel it's a lo- it's a local thing. Um, but like the Chiron on ESPN last night when the Knicks were on ABC for a game and they just traded for OG Ananobi, we knew exactly what it was going to say. What move will make the Knicks a contender? And then like Steven went up there and, and did the thing. And I was like, I'm, I understand it's supposed to be entertainment. By but, the way, they're doing it to the Thunder too. Like, they're doing, I, yeah. They're doing I think it to, like you said, they're doing it to the Sixers too. Like, I yeah, get it. It's, it's, it's an NBA, I think it's an NBA sickness. I don't think, I don't think they're treating the Knicks differently. I think, I think it is different once you get into that realm and you realize like, wait a minute, what, like, I'm, I'm not allowed to enjoy this. <laughs> you so know? I, I think my pushback would only be like, I don't think a lot of Knicks fans think they've entered into the Thunder realm or the Sixer realm. We don't have an Embiid. We don't have an right. SGA. We recognize what they are. And I think the story is more about how they've overachieved on depth and drafting well and like finding a, a, Jewel in Jalen Brunson, and honestly, a jewel in Julius Randle, who was just let go by the yeah. Lakers and then let go by the the Pelicans, and the fact that they were able to build a team that's good enough to beat a Donovan Mitchell team, like I maybe that that's easier to beat, but like what the Cavs were last year, number one in defense, top two in net rating, and then they go out in five games to a Knicks team that didn't trade for Donovan Mitchell. Like that's the story, how the Knicks are overachieving. And the Chiron can't always say, what aren't they? You know? Mm-hmm. And that's I think the, where the, the frustration bing, comes. The Bing Bong guy ruined it for you. That yes. one video. Shout out Danny. You ruined it, my friend. <laughs> okay. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Last question. I promise I'll get you out of here quick because we we have families to go get to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. So the question I got, I do this with every single guest. It's the Mount Rushmore of rivals. Every year the schedule comes out in the off season and there's dates you circle. I'm curious if the Knicks fall on it. There hasn't been a lot of Knicks Sixers games to make us rivals, but like I, I, I'm curious the four teams that you look forward to playing the most, whether it be just this season or over time, who might they be? So I think for me personally, this year, the Knicks would be on it. Okay. For Sixers fans, they are not. So I think for me- Is that a personal because of how your upbringing was? Well, it's just where I live and what I do. Imagine- Imagine at your work, it was all Sixers fans. Yeah. And they just like, it, you'd be intolerable. All you would want to do would be to beat them all day. So, right. I so, get it. I get it. You know, I think for the Sixers, it is likely the Celtics, the Nuggets, the Heat. And I'm just want to make sure there's not a Western Conference team that I'm forgetting about. The Celtics, the Nuggets, the Heat. And I, I guess for lack of a another one, I think you would probably just have to say the Bucks. I was going to um, say Milwaukee would be the fourth yeah. one. I think. I, I mean, think. they've had some great regular season games against Milwaukee. That they, they have not played them in the playoffs yet. It would be, uh, it would be a, a cool series if it were ever to happen. If the Sixers were ever to progress far enough to actually play the Bucks, it would be it would be neat. So, um, I think those would be the four. But me personally, my fourth would be the Knicks. One follow up: Who scares you the most of those four teams? 
Not the Bucks. Ooh. Not the Heat. Really? Not the Heat? No. They could be the 10th seed. I'd be afraid of them, Spike. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I used to have this theory. <laughs> I don't like Jimmy Butler at all, but I used to have this theory that, and I might even still have it. We'll have to see if they play him again, that there's just no way that Jimmy Butler would lose to the Sixers in the playoffs. Like, he just... There's just no chance. Like he, he will mm-hmm. be, you know, he could be 65 years old in the NBA and he will not lose to the Sixers in the playoffs. I think because of how they are made up physically, the Celtics are, I, I, I'm not super confident about the Celtics title hopes, though I think it's possible, but there are so many, the Sixers are not a particularly athletic or like long team, but the Celtics are. And they have a lot of guys that can cause trouble for Maxi in, you know, Derek White and Jalen Brown's not a great defender, but you, he's long, you know, he's better this year. I'll say that. Um, I think, and Horford historically has, has had Embiid's number. So I think it would be the Celtics of those teams. I, we, right before this, I just finished recording a Patreon pod with, mm-hmm. uh, with, with Macri and I, the number one, we, we said the, we did our power rankings. It's more of a, how you feeling rankings yeah. rather than an actual contender rankings. And while number one is the thunder, we feel the best about them. The Celtics are two. And the fact still remains the number one, most unstoppable thing I've seen this year as a lineup is the Celtics starting five. So I'm, I'm with you in the sense that like they would scare me the most too. Um, okay. Final, final question. It's a really quick answer. Yep. What does a disappointing season look like for the Sixers? And then we'll wrap up. So, so we came into the season, we had this argument with Daryl on the podcast mm-hmm. where Mike keeps saying, just get past the second round. And Daryl says, Maury says, well, the object's a title. So what's the difference if we lose in the second round or the conference finals? And it's like, well, the difference is they haven't been past the second round in 20 years. Right. So, yeah, so just get there. Um, to me, I think a, a disappointing season for the Sixers is if they lose in the playoffs and Embiid and Maxi did not run through the finish line. Like, I do not want them to lose in the second round again. But if they lose in the second round and Embiid averages 38 14 and seven. And like, they just didn't have enough. You know, they played the Celtics in the second round or the Bucks in the second round or a good team in the second round, but Embiid was not hurt, did not have a tummy ache, did not mope in the corner for the the second half of a deciding game. Like I just want him to be alive and look like a player that I can believe in. So I think disappointing, a disappointing end of the season is me seeing that. Um, I just don't want to see that again. I, yeah, especially if you're confident in Bede, like there's no worry of him leaving, right? So then if that's the confidence, the championship isn't as mandatory as it is for teams that have already gone all in, right? Yes. like the Bucks, like the, the Celtics. Whereas it's weird. This is a credit to Daryl Morey. The way he's been able to kind of reset things a bit and pretty good at his job, man. Pretty good. Yeah. Come to think of it, he might actually know what he's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, part of those problems were problems that he caused. (laughs) So, uh, if you had the chance, though, like I'm sure you agree with this, like if you had the chance to get out from under the Ben Simmons situation with James Harden, like I can't, I can't fully fault you for that, where you turned him into that. And by the way, the year before, like we were all saying when, when Houston supposedly wanted Maxi and he said no. Like that wasn't a time. I think the the tone was, yeah, we'd like to keep Maxi, but he wasn't untradeable at the time. Mm-hmm. And the idea that the year before he let the Nets get him and did not give up Maxi and was able to obtain Harden without getting Maxi, I guess you could say. Now it ended the way it ended, but certainly better to you know, James Harden was certainly more productive than Ben Simmons was going to be at that point. So especially at the end of both of their 10 years. So. For sure. Uh, Spike, thank you so much for joining me for this preview. Uh, look forward to this matchup on Friday night. I believe it's, it's, it's a national television game as well. Back to back primetime slots for the Knicks. Before you get out of here to anybody that might not know, please tell the fine folks at home where they can find you and all your stuff. Uh, writes Ricky Sanchez is the name of the podcast, writes Ricky Sanchez.com. And on Twitter, I am Spike Eskin. We have a lot of opposing fans who team fans who listen to us for when their team beats us. Celtics mm. fans are famous for us to hear us cry. So after they're done listening 
to your pod after the game on on Friday night. If the Knicks win, you are welcome to listen to us cry about the loss. We've so. started to get that too. Heat <laughs> fans in our live chat after the every playoff game last year. It's like, all right, they what? they may not be. They leave early to go comment on our live chat is what happens in Miami. Well, isn't uh, what Robert Sala say? If if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. Is that? Yeah. I, let's not get into the Jets. This will be a much longer podcast. <laughs> uh, thank you sincerely. Thank you for joining me, man. Yeah, of course. Of course. Once again, a big thank you to Spike for coming on today's show and helping me preview this matchup against the Philadelphia 76ers. You know what to do with the KFS bump. If there is one possible to give, uh, head on over to their YouTube channel and just leave a bunch of comments. How's that? You don't have to give them a five-star rating or a review, um, partially because they're probably our biggest competition in the iTunes charts and we just got to seven. And that's like, usually when these spikes happen is when we pass the right Sergio Sanchez. So rather than help their show out and passing us again, how about we go over to their YouTube channel and just say that you loved Spike on KFS and that um, we love linking up together and that maybe we could keep doing this in the future. Uh, so shout out to Spike. I wish you the best of luck, except in this game on Friday night that look, as far as adjusting expectations are concerned, I have my concerns personally about the Knicks second unit against the Sixers. They're really going to have to win the non Embiid minutes. Um, but I want to go in with an open mind that the OG and Anobi experiment and these two lineups that they've gone to a lot will be able to work very well against the Sixers. Uh, and then we're, we're in the nation's capital on January 6th. Yes, that is happening. Anyway, as far as I'm concerned, that'll do it for me. If you dig the show, head over to iTunes on our channel, uh, or our podcast feed, I should say, and on iTunes, you give us a five-star rating and a review. I will be back on Saturday to preview said matchup against the Washington Wizards on January 6th. And until next time, thank you for listening. Enjoy the game tonight. Let's go Knicks, and I'll speak with you soon. Peace. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com